the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. You have tuned into Kingdom Encounter with Glenn Bleakney. Connect with us for powerful, life-changing teaching and guest interviews that will inspire you with hope and equip you with the knowledge and skills needed to fulfill your destiny in the kingdom of God. Now, here is Glenn Bleakney. Let's just get right into our discussion. We were talking about apostolic centers tonight. And I know um, in your book, Apostolic Centers, Shifting uh, the Church and Transforming the World is the subtitle. Uh, Clearly, you were on a journey and uh, you're not just a philosopher. You actually are a practitioner. You were involved in transitioning a local church into an apostolic center. So why don't you tell us about that? What um, what was that like for you, and, and how did the Lord put that in your heart? Well, uh, let me first say, Glenn, that uh, it's an honor to speak in uh, what you convene here because I've been watching you for many years, and you're such a tremendous teacher yourself of the things of the kingdom that uh, all the topics I'm going to bring, I know you you teach even better than I. So just maybe for me to come and reinforce what you're already teaching and the people you're gathering. So let's go into that because it is a, a history. It is a, it is actually not only for me, but this is something the Holy Spirit is doing in the whole world, in any nation that I'm going, and I've been in many This is a reform that the Lord brings to his church. For me, it started in a very simple way. I was saved out of the drug world. I was a cocaine addict, uh, radically saved by meeting Jesus in a tiny little church of about 20, 30 people. That church was so vibrant and anointed, but so small at the same time. And uh, I stayed in that church with my wife. We grew there. We were well pastored, and I greet all the pastors here tonight. We are not against pastors. We are for pastors and for the whole body of Christ, and we love the church. And so we were well pastored, and uh, we grew in that church. I started full-time ministry one year and a half after I was out of the cocaine world. I was a cocaine dealer. I, I became the director of a Christian school. And what happened is 12 years after I was saved, the founding pastors asked me and my wife to take the church, to become the pastors of the church as they were starting themselves to travel more and more. And they had now a vision that led them that way. So we took the church in 1999. By the way, I'm still in that church. I've never been in another church except for preaching and visiting and building and but I'm still in the same church I was saved. And so I became the pastor in 99, 1999. And then the church started to grow from the faithful nucleus that those founding pastors had put in place. And by the way, those founding pastors are still with us. They're still today on my uh, uh, team, my apostolic team. So it's a family. But the church started to grow and uh, we were hungry. I was hungry for, for more. I loved the church. The church was was uh, was good. It was steadily growing, but I wanted more. I think we all want more. And so what I had in my heart was to look at the book of Acts. So in 2010 and 2011, for two years, we studied the book of Acts from Sunday to Sunday. And uh, it, what I discovered in that book was just revo- revolutionizing my conception of the church. It's in those two years that I discovered what I call today apostolic centers and the apostolic churches and the apostolic mandate. And and on the tracks of Apostle Paul, uh, I found that there was what I was looking for. So during those two years of teaching, teaching, teaching on the book of Acts, every Sunday, we were transformed. We were painting a picture that we started to desire, and we wanted to migrate toward that picture. And so at the end of 2011, I I said to the church, I think it was the uh, first Sunday of January or, or December 31st, I said, 
we have become an apostolic center. See, I didn't know it would become a term that now would be used. I was just speaking of my heart. We have become an apostolic center like the church of Antioch. We want to be a sending base. And that's how it all started. And what happened is that a few months after that, Peter Wagner, uh, whom yeah. you certainly know, came. I didn't know him. I had read one book by him 10 years before that, Churchquake. And he was introduced to me by a friend, uh, Doug Schneider in Oshawa. And he came to preach at our church. And I just explained to him our little journey. And I told him, I believe we have become an apostolic center. And he was very excited. He said, this is a proof of something I was tracking. And then the rest is story. I, I wrote a book about our journey, Apostolic Centers. Mm -hmm. And then it started to be published and translated in different languages. I think it's in seven or eight languages right now. I started to travel, right. write more books. And we developed as an Apostolic Center from that time. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, and of course, I've read your books and uh, really enjoy them, and they benefited me so much, too. So I just wanted to thank you for writing those books. Um, you know, we've got people watching, Elaine, from all over the world right now, from Africa, different parts of Africa, from Singapore, the Philippines, of course, Canada, the USA, Australia, New Zealand. Anything I'm missing, if I'm missing your country, guys, just let us know where you are watching from. And um, oh, Myanmar as well. Wow. So uh, let's just talk a little bit about the difference between, um, you know, the church today, the conventional church today. And there are many great churches in the world. You know, someone made a comment about their ministry being um, connected to Gateway Church out of Dallas. What a great church impacting um, nations, literally. So we're not here in any way to try to um, deride or speak down on churches. But what is the difference between, um, you know, the conventional church today and uh, an apostolic church or an apostolic center? And, and I know you talk in your book, you talk about apostolic churches and apostolic centers. So what, what's the difference between a conventional church and uh you know, an apostolic church or an apostolic center? Yes. Well, there's a, a number we can identify. I, I'll, I'll start by maybe saying there's two great areas that we need to look for. One is a vision and a mandate. What is the mandate of the church? And then what is the structure of that church to carry that mandate? So, what we see traditionally, conventionally, in most churches is a what we call a pastoral mode, a, which is a good church, very good. This is the church I was born in, and, right. and that saved uh, me and, and kept me. Uh, a pastoral church is a, is a church that um, the set man, the pastor, will do ministry to the congregation. So okay. if you have a good pastor in place, which is the case, I believe, in most churches, mm -hmm. um, this is a good place to be. This is a place to be taken care of, to be protected, and uh, to right. receive food and teaching. This is a good place. Right. A pastoral church is a place to gather the Christians and to uh, have fellowship mm -hmm. and uh, take care of the congregation. While you look at an apostolic model, the apostolic mandate is also the pastoral mandate, but you enlarge it to consider that the kingdom is uh, center. By the kingdom, we mean that God needs to rule everywhere, not just in the church. The church being the vehicle for him to expand his kingdom in the earth. Uh -huh. So when you have a clear apostolic mandate, then it means that you are no longer satisfied just to meet as a church uh -huh. and, um, and uh, maintain the church. You want to see expansion. You want to see influence and impact 
in society and in the nations so that uh, God's kingdom will be known and will gain uh, to bring glory to Jesus. So two different mandates. One is to take good care of the believers. The other is to make of the believers disciples that will be sent out and uh, touch this world. In the apostolic mandate, it does not negate the pastoral mandate. It expands on it. For example, we know in Ephesians 4.11 that a fivefold team has been given to help the church to grow. And in that fivefold team, there is no way, no place that it gives uh, the pro preeminence to the pastor. The pastor is part of the team. If right. there would be a emphasis on some of those fivefold, it would have to be on apostles and prophets, biblically. Ephesians mm -hmm. 2.20 says you have been built on the foundations of apostles and prophets, Christ being the chief cornerstone. 1 Corinthians 12.28, and God put in, gave the church first apostles, second uh, prophet, third teachers, and so on. So when we understand the... Uh, the format now i'm getting in the structure right. the structure to develop to maturity the saints to bring converts to discipleship it needs a working of those fivefold gifts together and then you have to talk of the role of the apostle and the prophets prophets we talked uh, a lot about them in in the the years what is more new now is the apostles. And so we see that the role of the apostle in that team is to empower and organize and also be a father to bring a cohesion so that we will not remain babies, but become mature sons and daughters. And this is how the kingdom can advance. If I can just mention that in the parables that Jesus gives in Matthew 13, in the second parable of the wheat and the tares, Jesus says that he is sowing and the seed this time is not the word of the kingdom like in the first parable, but the seed this time in that parable, the seed are the sons of the kingdom. Hmm. So if we want to have sons, which speaks of maturity, we need to grow the body to maturity. And the picture for that is in Ephesians 4, 11. Yeah. So in an apostolic vision, you will find the influence of an apostle, but also a team around him. So the mandate will be clear to go and influence society for the kingdom of God. And the structure will be an apostolic team working together so that the whole body may grow and develop. Wow. Yeah, that's powerful. Thank you. For sharing that you know that's that's something i really believe we've missed in in the church you know um we have different churches that in in terms of the vision and the philosophy they have we have churches that feel well if you if your church has a lot of people then you must be compromising the truth and and we have mega churches that are very um significant and influential in terms of um having a lot of people and just the very fact that there's all the numbers of people that has clearly an influence. But when we look at the Bible, particularly the book of Acts and the writings of Paul, we see a different paradigm. And, and I sometimes refer to it this way. We, we see clearly in Ephesians four, which you've already alluded to in verse 11, God gave the fivefold to equip so the, the saints, the believers, the disciples would do the works of ministry, but also to grow into the fullness of the stature of Christ, to, to become mature sons. And, you know, Romans 8 says that he's the firstborn among many and uh, that we were predestined to be conformed to his image and likeness. But I, I think when we look at the mission that um, sometimes you said, well, you know, we're trying to get a lot of people in our Sunday services, our weekend services. We preach the gospel to them and we get them saved. And um, yet in, in the New Testament, even though Jesus did preach to the multitudes, he did spend a lot of time with um, 
70 and, and then 12 and of course even three. And I think the key here in this day in which we live in this COVID-19 season, where in many places of the world, most places of the world, we're not able to have mass gatherings, is shifting to an apostolic paradigm, which is more about equipping and releasing believers to be the ministers, to go out into the marketplace and the world, all the different spheres, spheres of society um, to have that impact. So it's like the Lord is using this to recalibrate us back to the original apostolic mission. So when, when we talk about um, equipping saints, as Ephesians 4.12 talks about, what, what does that look like? What is that, you know, what was Paul meaning when he talked about equipping there? Well, this is uh, actually the, the topic that we need to really enter into. You see, we have been so used to think congregation, like you say, numbers, Sunday morning service, that we fail sometimes to see if this is efficient or not. You see, it's efficient for someone who is saved to join a good church, but is it efficient to bring the kingdom outside? Because the number does not necessarily reflect the power. You can have a, a church uh, of 1,000 people, for example, if the vision of that church is to gather people on Sunday, then they come in, have the service, and, and disappear for the rest of the week. And basically has not much impact on the city. Another church could be 300 people and I'll come back now to the COVID soon, uh, can be 300 people and constantly release people in mm. different walks of life and have a great influence and start churches and home groups and, and all that. And so like you said, well, the Lord is alerting us, I believe, in this time of the COVID, uh, because the Lord is always able to use what the enemy does to turn it to his advantage. And he's saying to us, listen, I love my church, but this is time for a new development. Would you consider now that you have been restricted that the church can still go on? Uh -huh. What has been restricted basically is a format, uh -huh. is a Sunday morning format. That's basically it. For the rest, it's open. Uh -huh. You can go, you can make disciples, you can do all that maybe you were not doing. So what we have done in, in our church, for example, is that we have uh, established just uh, three weeks ago, uh, 10 new house churches. Wow. See, we, we have a system. We have a, a main apostolic center with the apostolic team. We have two um, campuses also, which are more pastoral churches. We have churches uh, aligned with us from different nations. But what we have done with the central church, which is several hundred people, we have now created house churches. Wow. Because this is the way we need to go. Like, we have no choice. So yeah. we needed to consider that. We established 10 of them, which gather about 30 people each in the first time. And we still have to establish about 10 more to, to bring everybody that we have. So the church needs to adapt because... Mm -hmm. No, Jesus has never been confined except for three days. And after yeah. three days, he came out and he, and, and he reigns forevermore. Yeah. So we are in his footsteps. And the way it's going for us is probably the best we have ever been through. Wow. Although people suffer, we don't want to see people sick. But in terms of church advancing, this is so exciting. We have opened to become the central place in our city to uh, distribute food for uh, the family that were fragilized by the COVID. Uh, we are doing blood transfusion, not transfusion, blood collect. Like okay. we serve practically, then we dispatch in houses. We yeah. go on Zoom like everybody. The church yeah. is growing. Yeah. So we keep giving and nourishing other nations. This is a good wow. time, really. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. Thank you. You know, um, just quickly, let's expand on this a little bit. You know, we have some pastors that struggle 
to really uh, release people in their church. And um, there, there's a lot of reasons for that. I know um, that sometimes it's fear. Um, I, I remember an occasion where a friend of mine was really concerned. He was very fearful about releasing people to minister in his church. He would train them and he would equip them, but he wasn't releasing them. Now, of course, um, the very word apostolic comes from the Greek apostelos, which has the idea of sending forth or sending out. Like the scripture in John 20, 27, when Jesus said, as the father sent me, so send I you. So as the father apostelos me, I apostelos you. So Jesus was a master sender. So what yes. would you say to um, the body of Christ right now about our responsibility to disciple people and ultimately to send people out? Um, what? Yeah, just speak into that, please. This is our great responsibility. It's tied to uh, bringing sons to maturity so that they can be seeds in the harvest, which is the field, which is the world that belongs to Jesus. But we need to be practical about it. You see, we need to see people in our congregation as potential leaders. First of all, the main leader of the church has to have that uh, mindset search potential and and capacity in everyone that's in front of you because everyone needs to be developed do they show any sign that may look like one of the fivefold ministry even if they may not be a set apart apostle or prophet or evangelist do they have characteristics that make you think about that and how can you favor that not only in schools but in the daily life of the church so uh, so what, what do we do for example for us we just uh, went through three days in his presence uh, about three three weeks ago three days in his presence the numbers were limited we were on zoom and limited people on site Nine opportunities to teach. How many of those spots did I take to teach? I took zero. Wow. Because I want to train others. Okay. Now, I, I, I do teach on Sundays. Sure. Um, so I had the opportunity to train nine different people to preach and teach. Awesome. Every occasion I can find, I want them to develop. Then if uh, one session, I provoked the prophetic. So I called people uh, and I, I, of course, the Lord has to help. Uh, and I said, you come here. I pray the Lord will give you a word. Speak a word to someone. So I provoke the prophetic. And then you watch it and you see, oh, this one is sensitive, this one. And then I put them in the hands of our main prophet and they develop them in the prophetic. So we have teacher, we have prophets. Then you Try to identify those with an apostolic gift. Apostolic gifts are easy to spot. They always come to you with projects that are almost impossible to do, but they are pumped with their vision. They want to break outside the box. Some people think they are rebellious. They might be, but in other cases, they are not rebellious. They are just full of an apostolic vision. So empower them and release them, and you will develop these kind of gifts. You will train them. Um, Teachers are easy to spot. They always uh, start a conversation by the Bible says. Yeah. So the people that the Bible says, I say, okay, you're a teacher. I need to find places where you can grow in your teaching gift. Right. Other people are clearly pastoral. They come to you and they're always concerned for somebody. They're yeah. always concerned for that couple, for that family. They're always burdened. They might be intercessors too. But the pastoral want to take care of them. See, I'm not very pastoral. If you yeah. come to me with your problem, after five minutes, I look around and that because I, I think I got it in five minutes and I see that you will need help. And I'm thinking, who can help this good person here? Yeah. And what a pastoral person loves that. A pastoral person will say, tell me more about it. Yeah. And how was your dad when you were young? Can yeah. <laughs> we meet another time to talk about it more? When you see people like that, you develop them as pastoral people. Not yeah. necessarily set-apart pastor, but right. you need a pastoral team. Right. So in our apostolic center, the pastoral team is the largest team because yeah. the body of Christ needs a lot of good care. So yeah. you need a pastoral team. We have an apostolic team. We have a, we have a prophetic team. We have a team of teachers. So 
training people in the daily life and then encouraging them to use their gift and capacity outside of the local church right. or the apostolic center because that's the other problem everyone wants to serve the lord inside the structure exactly. of the building of the church right. but the structure is gone during the pandemic exactly. so you can send them out exercise yeah. your gift and your heart where you work with your neighbors like i'll tell you something during the pandemic we tell we told people put a sign and say jesus you're welcome in this house put that outside of your house so neighbors will know that your house is not confined to jesus and then one of them went in front of her block it's a three or four stories apartment block and she had the neighbors come out on the balcony <laughs> wow. And she were she was on the sidewalk. She was doing dances like Zoom dances, exercise, <laughs> and then she preached the gospel and had them sing gospel songs. So the people had nothing to do. They're confined in their little boxes, apartments. So yeah. it's all film. We have it's. There's no limit to what you can do <laughs> when you have vision. When you know you are to impact the world and not just keep people together. But to send them out, people mm -hmm. are very creative. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And and let's you know let's just uh, delve into that a little deeper. The apostolic mission and mandate. You know, Jesus said to go into all the world. He said in Matthew twenty four fourteen, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a witness to all the nations. That means the ethnic groups of the world, and then the end will come. In Matthew twenty eight. 18 through 20, he said, all authority has been given to me and to go and make disciples of the nations. And so when we talk about releasing and sending people out, and we, of course, we look to the great apostle himself, Jesus Christ, and we see the, his approach when he was on the earth. And, you know, I, I've studied this and I basically have come to the conclusion that when Jesus first called these men to come and follow him, one of the things he did um, was the first thing it's recorded in Luke 5 was there was a miracle of an abundant catch of fish. And the Bible says that after this uh, great miracle happened, the net broke. And later on, uh, Jesus, of course, they left the fish there on the beach on the shore and they said, Jesus said, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And the idea in the Greek is come and follow me and I'm going to transform you. I'm going to develop you into fishers of men. But this was a process where Jesus for the next three and a half years were, was preparing these guys to become apostles, really. So the first few months, uh, 10 months or so, they followed him. And they watched him and they saw what he did. They saw him preach the kingdom, you know, teach the people, perform miracles. And then Jesus spent the night in prayer. He came down from the mountain. He called 12 to be apostles is what it says. Mark's account says that, that um, they might be with him and that he might send them out is what it says, that he might send them out. He might apostolos them. Sometimes the Greek word ekbalo is used to send out, yes. which means to kick out, <laughs> to force. Yeah. And sometimes that's, you know, when there's people, when the church isn't going out, God sometimes has to use uh, circumstances and be forceful, like in the persecution in Stephen's day and, and so on. But when we talk about this mandate, that every believer is to become a disciple who becomes a fisher of man. And I think that really is the game changer when we, if we don't recognize that, you know, so it's like you said, right now, nothing has changed with the mission and with the opportunity. The harvest is still there. We just can't have large gatherings in many places of the world, but nothing has changed. And we need to come back to this apostolic mandate. And, and how do we balance, this is the question I'm leading up to, how do we balance, you know, taking someone who maybe has just become a, a, a believer and, you know, they, they maybe they have some 
character issues. They, they're struggling. There's still brokenness in their life. Um, and so some pastors like, I don't want to use those guys. You know, they're, it's like I say sometimes like the grenade goes off and people get hit with the shrapnel from the grenade. So how do you take those type of people that maybe they're struggling, they're new believers, they, they have, um, you know, areas they need to grow in and help them, you know, without blowing the church up <laughs> or, blow, or so many people getting hurt by that? Well, you're talking to an ex-cocaine dealer here. So how do we deal with people like that? Some basics never changed. Some uh, pastoral care, deliverance, uh, you know, counseling is needed for sure. Uh, but I would say you need to put them into the action. The mistake we often do is to have them too long in the passive mode. You don't grow very well in a passive mode. We're not made to be passive. Everything in us, life is not passive. Not, life is a development. So integrate them as soon as possible in some action, even if you need to watch them closely because of the lack of maturity, the lack of wisdom. And, and instill in the church a culture of love and respect and uh, vulnerability and authenticity so that you do not have to be uh, at the stage of perfection to open your mouth or to serve the Lord. This is a place for broken people that Jesus brings together and we can all grow together. Mm -hmm. So if we work in that culture of respect, love, authenticity, there is room for even new believers to start um, exercising whatever gift they have. Because we know very well that a, a, a baby Christian can start hearing from God and even prophesying, even if he doesn't know the rules, because he has the spirit. And so I find ways to integrate them right away. Our model is house churches, home groups, small circles where you can function. And so we don't relate too much on the big mass gathering, although we love it, but we relay for the development on small groups and people together. We need to trust people. Uh, if you trust people, they will give it back to you. I remember uh, one time I, I, we had a, a tent uh, outreach uh, outside and I wanted someone to watch. So I took the guy that was just out of prison, uh, a young guy, he was about 17 years old, and I said, you will be the watchman for the night. That changed his life. He said, do you know that I can, I can make a few phone calls, all the sound system, everything will be gone, and I'll make money. Like, I know. And he said, you asked me to watch it? That changed his life. Yeah. He, he, it's about 20 years past, I'm telling you, and he's still telling me that. You don't know what you did that night. So we need to trust people and make disciples of them. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Thank you. And when we talk about making disciples, really the Great Commission, particularly in Matthew 28, 19, the commandment there in the Greek language is to make disciples. And we do it by going, by baptizing, and by teaching them. That's what the original language is conveying. Let's talk about the Apostle Paul's approach for church planting right now or making disciples. When we read the book of Acts, we see, you know, we talk about his three missionary journeys. And I prefer the term apostolic missions, but that terminology. But Paul and Barnabas initially were sent out from Antioch. They had been there. They'd been know, ministering that says there were teachers, the prophets and teachers in the church, the Holy Spirit speaks and says, separate Saul and Barnabas to the work I've called them to do. They laid hands on them. And then the Bible says they sent them out and they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They were apostolic or um, by the Holy Spirit. So Paul goes out with Barnabas. He begins preaching in these different places. And then, um, 
what happens later on, and, and I, you re allude to this when you talk about apostolic networks in your book, um, he appoints what they call over, overseers or elders, depending on you know the term. Um, but when we see, though, that they didn't really stay a long time, but they, uh, the apostles established the church, then they appointed elders. Um, but conversely, we really don't see in the New Testament pastors starting churches, do we? No, we uh, don't see them at all. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, I'll tell you my take on that. You see, the pattern is quite simple if we follow the tracks of Paul. What do we have? The Holy Spirit chooses somebody. Then that somebody is sent on a mission. Then what we see very quickly is a team forming. At first, it was just uh, Paul and Barnabas and, and, and Mark. And, and then what do we see? This team is growing. Now we follow Paul and his team. His team becomes bigger and bigger. Everywhere he goes, he establishes communities of believers. Let's call them like that, communities of believers. It's, pro it's quite sure that the first churches we read in his first and second uh, trips were probably churches of like 12, 15 people, 20 people, maybe even eight people. You know, there was very, very small churches that, and he put someone in charge. That's all it means when a, an elder and an overseer, he said, listen, you, you look to me like you're the best to take care of those guys. So, you know, just stay in what I taught and I'll, 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 we'll keep in touch. So he established those small communities of believers and he went along like that. And what we see is that those first churches, uh -huh. local churches, started to be established everywhere. But in some specific places like Ephesus or Corinth, uh -huh. Paul stayed much longer. Because in other places, he would stay just a few days or a few weeks. Yeah. But in Ephesus, he stayed for two years. And in Corinth, a year and a half, if I'm not mistaken. And in those places he brought the church to another level. And that's what I call an apostolic center. So what do we have in those cases? We have a residing apostle with an apostolic team residing, mm -hmm. and they develop the church in number and in capacity to train. Mm -hmm. And these become centers, resource centers, for all the little churches that are scattered everywhere. Because in the little churches that have been established, they might not have the luxury to have the fivefold gift right away. They are just a small number. It's yeah. a it's a beginning of a church, and not all churches have the fivefold ministers in them. But a place like Ephesus can send out teams and resources that are lacking in other places. So the picture comes uh, complete now. We have a number of local or pastoral churches, and I would call them apostolic churches. Why? Because they are churches, and they are aligned with an apostle and his team, and in contact, most probably, with an apostolic center. And so yeah, there is a network that has been developed. And so apostolic centers in the main cities resourcing those apostolic churches, and we say they're apostolic because they are fed by the apostolic vision, even if they are not led by an apostle themselves, they are led by a pastor or an elder. Mm -hmm. And so that's the picture that we come to today. Many, at least that's what I see. Many churches are realizing that they need an apostolic alignment because what happened after a few hundred years of that, Constantine came and, and smothered those churches and they lost vision and they became only pastoral without a vision for the kingdom in many cases. So just Christians staying together, maintaining what they had which we see up to today. But there is a desire to come back to a fuller vision of the kingdom and to be in alignment with an apostolic vision or an apostolic team or an apostolic center. And so in other churches, the pastors discover that after all, I'm not a true pastor. 
I'm more like an apostle, except we never used those terms. But in the fabric of who he is, he discovers I'm much more like an apostle. Or another would say, I'm much more like a prophet. Another, I'm much more like an evangelist. Churches are led by all kinds of ministries. We call them all pastors, which is not biblical. They're not pastors. We just traditionally, we call everybody pastor. But now people discover who they really are. And, 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 And by the way, it's true that in the New Testament, we don't see pastors starting churches. Apostles start churches. And the word bishop or overseer, elder, and shepherd are interchangeable. You see that in Acts 20 when Paul says, call the elders. When the elders came from Ephesus, Mm -hmm. he says, uh, watch uh, the the, the flock that the Lord made you overseers over. uh, Be good shepherd of them. So they are elders. Bishops, pastors, that's really what a pastor is. So he's watching the flock. But the apostle has established the church. Yeah, absolutely. Completely concur. And that's very scriptural, the the, uh, pattern there that you mentioned. So the whole concept here being apostolic, this isn't about all of a sudden calling yourself an apostle and you know, getting a new business card and pastors deleted and apostles now on the business card. This is shifting into an apostolic um, culture and the mission, you know, the paradigm, which is first and foremost about advancing the kingdom on the earth. Yes. And, And Jesus, you know, when you go back to Isaiah 60, I love Isaiah 60. It says, arise, shine, your light has come. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Then verse two says, for behold, darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness, the people, but the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. So we see this conflict. Uh, Satan wants the earth to be cover the earth with darkness and deep darkness, the people. But the Lord says, I want my people to arise and shine. And in the book of Habakkuk chapter two, I believe it's verse 14, it says, that the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. So God's desire is that the earth would be filled with the knowledge of his glory. Satan wants to cover the earth with darkness. And we are in, um, uh, there's, there's two kingdoms here in conflict. And, and I think that the church has to recognize that our calling as the ecclesia of God is to advance the kingdom first and foremost. It's not to come together in our holy huddle, you know, and and just sing kumbaya, bless me, Lord. <laughs> we we are being, we come together. There's a purpose for that. The scripture is clear. We're not to forsake the assembling together of ourselves. The Bible talks about one anothering, how we help one another to grow um, by using our gifts and so on, iron sharpening iron. But ultimately, we come together in order to be encouraged, um, inspired, trained, equipped, and sent out. We're called to be an apostolic people. And I think that's the huge difference. When you have um, pastors, and as you said, the word pastor literally means shepherd. There's only one time in the New Testament we read the word pastor in Ephesians 4 verse 12, right? And as a noun, every other time it's a verb meaning to shepherd, and and so we have apostles, we have fivefold ministry, we have elders, presbyteros, we have overseers, episcopos, and their goal is to equip the people as well. It's not just to say, well, I'm a pastor and and I want you to come here and be comfortable and and I'll minister to you know your your needs. Um, but there's a purpose for that and. The word equipping, this is something I believe is so important. The word equipping in Ephesians 4, uh, 12 can be translated, you know, the root, the word that is derived from the root word can be translated to mend a uh, fishing net. Uh, I believe yes. it's in Matthew 4, 21, where it's, that word is used. And in cartutizo. So the, the idea there is there's a mending, but the word can also be used for preparing. 
And, and it's also found in 1 Corinthians 1, I think it's verse 9 or 10, where it talks about being joined together. And so I think that that word equipping has is, is very powerful that we understand the calling of fivefold is to equip, which is to mend people, uh, to, to blend people is the way I put it, so that we become a body. So we're not just individuals doing our own thing, but we become a body. And then to send people, to release them, to launch them. And when we get this right, when we reset uh, and, and make that our focus, yeah, of course, people are need encouragement. They need comfort. They need healing, deliverance, inner healing, whatever. But ultimately, we, we see the difference is to release them, to send them out into their destiny, their purpose, and their calling. So in a church that traditionally has been modeled after uh, a weekend gathering, you know, where I go to church for an hour or 90 minutes or whatever on a Sunday. Um, And that church really has not been doing much, the leadership to equip people. Um, Clearly, you have a a generation of consumers, uh, spectators, that type of thing. But today, it seems, in particular millennials, they want um, authentic community. They want the real power of the Holy Spirit, and and they want purpose, right? They want to they want a purpose in life. Let's just talk a little bit about the church making that transition, so that we become effective in engaging our culture and reaching those who, in particular, have no interest in uh, the institutional church or the convention and the conventional church what what is the the answer because many churches many pastors are dealing with this how do i grow like right now oh my church people are scattered we don't you know what are we going to do and so let's let's just give us your uh, feedback your insight into that elaine please i i would not be too much concerned about growing per se if i can say that no i i know we all want to grow but we put a lot of emphasis on church growth for many years i would i would say let's concentrate on let's clarify what's the mandate of the church what are we up to what do we want to produce um do we believe that the lord wants to rule on the earth or not, because some people believe they're just waiting to go to heaven. So if we believe that, there's not much incentive to bring an influence on the earth. So what are we believing? What is our role? Uh, Should we bring back the glory that was lost? Is this our mandate? When we read in Revelations, uh, Revelation 11, 15, is it where the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of God and of his Christ? How will this happen? Mm. Will this happen by magic? One day, Jesus will just say, here I am, I take everything. Or do we have a part in going towards that? Mm. And of course we do. So we need to clarify for ourselves, what are we up to? And in a church that wants to start walking along that, I believe the main leader or the leaders together should clarify their own understanding of what, why are we here? Mm. If he wanted to bring us to heaven, it could be done a long time ago. So why does he stay, keep us here on the earth? What's our purpose? And once we clarify that, is our structure helping us to go towards that goal? If we have a maintenance structure, it will not serve a expansion uh, mandate so for us we uh, dismantled an old structure because the structure needs to serve the vision right so our old structure was very traditional a group of elders and a pastor the pastor is the one ministering to the congregation and the congregation year after year comes to be ministered to this is not wrong in itself but we want to go further and so with teaching with dialogue, we agreed, and it was hard for some to agree, 
<laughs> but you know, reaching agreement is still important. We agreed to dismantle the old structure and to replace it by an apostolic structure. What do I mean? I mean that I was the main leader. I still am. And I surrounded myself by a team, which I call an apostolic team, which is a team of different gifts and different capacities of people. And that team is flexible. It's not positions for life. It's a, a functional team. If you want, it's like the people walking with, with Jesus when he traveled across Israel. It's the people walking or taking the ship with Paul when he travels. People of the journey. If yeah. you're ready to make the journey with me, if you're willing to leave what's, uh, whatever stops it and, and commit to join on the journey with me, that's what I call the apostolic journey. That journey is how can we bring back God's glory in the world where uh, it has been lost? And what steps do we need to do? And uh, how can we have an entrance in the seven mountains of society to bring the influence of the gospel there? So if we will work together, if we will plan together, we will be able to advance. And so that's been my life for the last uh, few years. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you there's places with uh, great, great uh, en encouragement. Taiwan, for example, I've been working with them for a while uh, and with Chuck Pierce. And they have recently, I was on Zoom again, they have established seven apostolic cities wow. and they are entering now in the uh, medical world and in the education world to transform from the inside with the kingdom values. Yeah. And they bring such a resource to the government mm. in secular society that this is an infiltration of the kingdom of God going inside of society. Why do they do that? Mm -hmm. They do that because they have the right vision of the mandate of the church. Yeah. See, if your vision of the mandate is that we need to huddle together until Jesus comes back, then this is what you're going to do. You <laughs> see, you will follow your vision and you will reach what you aim. Right. If your vision is how can we transform society, how can we bring the kingdoms to Jesus? Because in Revelation, when it says the kingdom become the kingdom of God, his plan is not to destroy the kingdoms of this world. His plan is to take them and rule over them because he is the king. Yeah. And we are to facilitate that with the giftings we have. So in a church, let's first see if you can have a clear vision of the mandate. You may need some help. You, mean, you may need apostolic people to teach alongside you, to counsel you, to father you, if I can say. You may need to work close, more closely with Glenn. Uh, Glenn didn't ask me to say that. Or you may need to connect with a man like him or, or, or someone else that the Lord puts in, in, your, in, your, in your path and, and have help to transition gradually because you don't want to shock God's people. God's people are precious, and you want to help them transition in their minds, in their understanding of the gospel, of the gospel of the kingdom, not just the gospel of salvation. It's included in. Yeah. You want to help them transition. You don't want to lose them, and you want to bring the right structure that will facilitate the development of everybody, the training, and so that you will not have just a congregation of converts, but a congregation of disciples. And once they realize that they are disciples, they will come to you with projects. They will come to you with visions and things they want to do. While in the past you were trying to motivate them to sign up for a chore in the church, they will knock at your door and say, can I do this? Can I venture there? Because vision will be released inside the body. That's what we have been experiencing in, in our apostolic center. I could tell you stories and stories uh, that we have done in nations up to building a 13-kilometer road in the mountains of Haiti to connect the population to the road system and to running water and to electricity and to medical uh, uh, care because an apostolic church 
does not only do Sunday morning meetings, it also builds roads in the mountains and builds stuff and, and motivates people and, 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 and is a nightmare for the devil, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Thank you. And, I, and, you know, in your book, you talk about Pax Romana and, and the whole idea of the Roman uh, kingdom, the Romans. And uh, the word apostle, of course, was a secular term before it was used in the New Testament. Yeah. And uh, you, you refer to um, the whole mission of, of the Roman Empire in uh, invading, occupying, and transforming. And apostles exactly. were the ones that were sent out by Caesar to go into a, a land and to, you know, ultimately transform that. So just elaborate on that, uh, the whole concept. I know our time is running short, but this is this is important. Thank you for bringing it, Glenn. Um, there's two words that are not religious at all that Jesus will use. He will use ecclesia, which uh, we derive church. Uh, that, that's a mystery. Church has nothing to do with ecclesia as a term. But I will build my church. The word is ecclesia. And he chose he, he apostles. And none of those two words are religious. Uh, ecclesia was a civil gathering of citizens with authority to make decrees for their city. Mm. That's what we are when we gather, you see? When Jesus said, I will build my, my, my ecclesia, I will build that structure that has authority to make decrees on the earth. And apostles were those, like you said, sent by the emperor to take new territory. And that uh, conquest would be done in three stages, invade, occupy, and transform. Why uh, transform? Because if you transform it, it will never come back to what it was. So you invade it. We understand that. Christians sometimes are poor at the second step. We need to occupy what you have invaded. Every inch you win, every inch you need to keep, you need to occupy if, if you don't want to lose it. If you don't want to lose it, transform it with the, the atmosphere of heaven. So they would occupy the land and one would transform the road system, the hygiene rules, they will build baths, uh, uh, running water, they change the laws, they change what we call the culture of the lands they had conquered. And so those cultures became Romanized from barbarian to Romanized. So they will never come back to what was. And so that's our mission. Jesus came from heaven, our great apostle, to come and invade. He launched a conquest uh, operation on the earth, invade the earth, uh, built a team around him, sent us as he was sent. As my father sent me, I send you. As my father apostolled, he made of me an apostle. I make of all of you apostles, not maybe individual apostles, but we have an apostolic nature as a church. So yeah. you go invade, occupy what you gain and transform it. Transform it from sin to righteousness. Transform it from darkness to light. Transform it from the kingdom of, of, of the devil to the kingdom of God. So then when Jesus comes, he rules on all those kingdoms. And I'm not saying that we have to have done all that before he comes, but we need to work towards that until he comes. Amen? Yep. Amen. And so we... We, we invade, occupy, and transform. And that's the whole notion of my last book, the uh, uh, territorial gains. You see, we need to gain new territories for expansion. We cannot just stay in our little corner and be happy with our building. We need to think city. We need to think nations. We need to take governments. We need, need to take <laughs> schools and so forth, so yeah. that the kingdom comes everywhere. We need reformers in education. Mm -hmm. We need godly politicians. We, 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 need, uh, we, we need all that. We need scientists. Yeah. So we don't need only Bible schools. Yes. We need professional schools right. of the kingdom. We need yeah. to train lawyers. We need to train uh, scientists. We need to train uh, people of the kingdom that yeah. will live and impact this world. That's the apostolic mandate. So from the local church, 
We cannot do all of that in one church, but we can do a part of it. Every church can yeah. and have an impact. Thanks for tuning into Kingdom Encounter with Glenn Bleakney. To learn more about us, including how to connect to our kingdom community, please visit our website, awakenations.org. Again, that website address is awakenations.org. El todo sea por un beso deal. Ya soñabas con llegar a McDonald's, ordenar tus McNuggets y tu Big Mac de siempre. Con extra pepinillos, extra salsa especial, extra cebolla, porque tú eres así, extra. Pero luego recuerdas que estás en una cuarta cita. Y quizá ordenar cebollas extra no sea la mejor movida. Hay un meal para cada cita en McDonald's. Ordena por anticipado por el app de McDonald's y llévate dos de tus favoritos, como McNuggets de 10 piezas y una Big Mac por solo $6. Precios y participación pueden variar. Producto individual a precio regular.